I'm sure that most of you have seen a scene in a movie showing how a scene in a movie is filmed. And you know how it works. The assistant director shouts, quiet on the set. Then the assistant cameraman comes in with that slate chalk upon which is written the scene and the take. And then he slaps that clapper on the top and he says, scene one, take one. Then the director calls out action and the actors take up their parts. But then something in the scene was not right and so we hear the director shout out, cut. Someone forgot their line. Someone interpreted the character in a wrong way. Someone was taking the scene in a wrong direction. And so the action stops and the whole process is repeated again. Scene one, take two. And on and on it goes until the director has the scene or the movie just as he wants it. And then he shouts out, that's a wrap. This morning, the passage at which we will be looking is in many ways Palm Sunday all over again. Scene one, take two. Cut was called from heaven the first time. Peter and the others that made up that first Palm Sunday parade, they had interpreted the scene all wrong. They were taking it in the wrong direction. This was not to be Jesus' parade leading to his coronation before taking up residence in the royal palace. It was instead to be his path to his crucifixion before taking up residence for three days in a cold, dark tomb. I'm not suggesting that somehow something went wrong with the first Palm Sunday or that it was something other than God had intended it to be or that somehow Peter and the others, if they had gotten their hope right, that day would have turned out differently. No, Palm Sunday was exactly what God had ordained that it would be. It revealed Jesus exactly as God wanted him to be revealed on that day. I'm only saying that the day could have been different for Peter. It could have been different for everyone in that parade if their hope had been rightly founded rightly grounded, not on what they hoped for themselves, but on the richness that God had for them in Christ. So for everything else that might be said about this Palm Sunday, it's at least an opportunity for every one of us here to look at our hopes. What are they? Each day that the Lord grants breath into our bodies, it's an opportunity for us to get the scene right, for us to get the hope right. When we find ourselves hoping in the wrong things or hoping in the wrong people, we must listen to the voice of God say to us through his word, cut. Let's start this scene again. Let's get the hope right. After this week, I don't need to tell you 
that we need hope in this world. Hope to release our children or our grandchildren that we've hugged a little longer and a little tighter before sending them out into the world. We need hope. We can only have hope when we are rightly looking at Christ for who He is and not for who we want Him to be. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Hope in Christ as we look to Christ. Once again this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to take them out. Turn to 1 Peter, the first chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you've found your place, let's stand together as we hear read together the word of the living God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would help us to obey this command, even as we are together in your word, we pray that you would refocus our hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Before we talk about the hope that Peter commands in these verses, let's first look at the power and the persistence of wrong hopes. Not unlike you and me, Peter and the others on Palm Sunday, they persistently and they relentlessly hoped for the wrong thing. For hundreds and hundreds of years, God's people had been oppressed by foreign powers. In Peter's day, the Roman Empire had taken their place as yet another nation that was subjugating the people of Israel, the people of God. And so Peter... And the others in this Palm Sunday parade hoped that this Sunday would be the day that all of that would finally change. They hope that on this day, Jesus was finally going to take his place on an earthly throne and establish an earthly kingdom. They hoped that he would be a king like David, who would get the nation of Israel out from under Roman oppression and restore it as the world power. And quite frankly, I'm sure they hoped for the power and the prestige that would be theirs as they co-ruled with Christ. May we sit at your right hand and your left hand, they asked Jesus. This is the hope that had persisted throughout their ministry with Jesus. Peter was there when the Lord fed thousands and thousands of people with five loaves and two small fish. On that day, those thousands and thousands of people just concluded, this is it. He is the one. And they were determined that they would make Jesus their king by force if necessary. That was their greatest hope to have him as their king, but it was so small compared to what God was doing. And so God says, cut. You're not understanding this scene in the right way. 
And so Jesus slipped away into the mountain to thwart the effort of the people. But still, their hope persisted. And so now on Palm Sunday, it looks as if their persistence has paid off. The air is electric. Jesus is no longer disappearing into the crowd. He's no longer saying, shh, don't tell. He's no longer escaping to the mountains. No, Jesus is here. The palm branches are waving. The palms were the national symbol of Israel. The palm was a symbol of victory. Jesus is riding on a donkey. Prophecy is being fulfilled. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. People are spreading their cloaks on the road before Jesus as a sign of submission to this one they hoped would be their king. But, cut. Five days later, found not coronation, but crucifixion. And then one week later, on the evening of the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he encountered, encountered two of his disciples that were leaving Jerusalem. They had given up hope, and so they were headed out of town to another place called Emmaus. And so the resurrected Jesus came up, and he started walking beside them. Only the two disciples didn't recognize him as Jesus. Luke records that these two disciples stood in the road, looking sad. Jesus asked them, what happened? They said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, was crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one. Had hoped. Cut. Wrong hope. And yet that glimmer of hope persisted. They say to Jesus, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these happened, these things happened. And so still they hoped that something would happen to make Jesus an earthly king cut wrong hope. Then we can fast forward 40 days after this. The resurrected Jesus has appeared to the disciples many times. Jesus is now ready to ascend into heaven to finally be with his father. And the disciples ask this question. Wait for it. Wait for it. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're, they persisted with their hope. Hope for a national geographic kingdom. Cut. Wrong hope. Let's try the scene again. I go over all of these stories with you in order to show the power and the persistence of wrong hopes and how difficult it is for us to let go of wrong hopes. I have persistent wrong hopes. You have persistent 
wrong hopes, what are they? You see, we have to identify them so that we can replace them, so that we can have right hope on this Palm Sunday. What Peter writes here in verse 13 is like Palm Sunday, take two. And he gives us a fresh vision for a real hope. Look again, listen again to what Peter writes. Therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So for Peter, can you picture as he writes this beautiful release and replacement that has occurred in his life Gone are Peter's hopes for an earthly kingdom. Gone are Peter's hopes for earthly power and earthly prestige. Those have been replaced. Peter has been graced to realize that true hope is found only in more and more grace to see more and more of Christ. True hope is found in more and more grace to see more and more of Christ. One commentator writes, each gift of grace kindles the hope of another manifestation, a fuller manifestation. Grace is continually brought till at length the full unspeakable gift of grace is realized at the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ and at his second advent. This is Peter's new hope. This is Peter's true hope. It has replaced lesser hopes. What replacements do you need to make? Where's God saying to you, cut, let's do that scene again. You have your hope in the wrong place. Look, the world feels like it's unraveling right now. Would you agree with that? Seems a little out of control. And when the simplest words like he and she no longer have any meaning, we become shaken. We feel insecure, at loose ends, afraid to speak. We become angry. We can easily persist in wrong hopes to right the world. We persist in wrong hopes to right the world. Or at least to make it some sort of a place where you and I can live in some sort of peace. We live in a violent world. So we look for signs to hope in that we have a good security system. We live in a safe neighborhood. Things like this don't usually happen here. But let me tell you, evil is insidious. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I'm telling you, you cannot escape it. You cannot insulate yourself from it. So what is going to give you real hope? And then, when we dig into things that we hope for from this world, we discover that those hopes are often motivated by our own brokenness. Why is it 
that we hope for money? Why is it that we hope for things? Why is it that we hope for relationships? Because we want security? Listen, you have security in Christ. Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of your Father's hand. The Lord says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Maybe it's identity that we are after. One that we are striving to build for ourselves. We already have an identity in Christ. Listen, because of Christ, we are sons and daughters of the living God. Recognition. Is that what we hope for? Jesus says, listen, I see you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Perhaps we hope to get more than we really need. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Jesus says to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We're lonely. We hope for companionship. Listen, Jesus sticks closer than a brother. Listen, Jesus prays, Father, I in them and you in me. Christ is with us. Dig in. Dig in to the insecurities or the fears that might drive your hopes. Reflect on why you hope for the things for which you hope. What do you hope those things will achieve for you? Please don't hear me saying that it's sinful to provide for your family or that it's sinful to look for companionship. It's not. I'm just saying that if you put your hope fully in those things, you will be like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You will be downcast. You will be like these palm wavers who five days later, because their hope is wrong, they had either fled in fear, they had moved on to look for another hope, or worst of all, they had joined in with the voices who were shouting, crucify him. Peter writes here, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is, of course, here looking forward to the return of Christ, the great Palm Sunday, should it happen on a Sunday. The Apostle John had a vision of it. He writes in Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many crowns, and on his robe, and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is coming again. Is that good news? It's Palm Sunday. Take two. He is the returning King of kings and Lord of lords. That reality must be the basis of all our hope. And Peter says here specifically, our full hope our complete hope. Listen, if something is completely full, it can't hold anything else. If the glass is completely full of water, it can't hold any more water. The other water just spills out, and so our hope. Our hope must be fully focused on Christ and the hope of his return and seeing him in his fullness so that there is no room left in our hearts or our lives to dilute that hope with distracting, persistent, lesser hopes. And know this as well. 
Hope in Scripture is not like our hope. The hope that God offers to us does not have a hint or a whiff of any of the doubt that characterizes the way we use that word. We say tomorrow is my only day off. I want to go to the beach. I hope it doesn't rain. Maybe it will rain. And God's people said, amen, let's go to the beach. Maybe it'll rain. Maybe it won't rain. I stand in line in the grocery store behind lots of hopeful people. They fork over their money. They buy the ticket. And as they scratch off the numbers, they say, I hope I'll win the lottery. Maybe they will, but almost certainly they won't. We cannot help but have this cloud of doubt that comes floating over our understanding of hope. Making hope for us an iffy thing, an uncertain thing. Hope, as used in Scripture, means to look forward to something with confidence that it will absolutely come to pass. To look forward to something with absolute confidence that it will come to pass. Think of it this way. Biblical hope is synonymous with certainty. They mean the same thing. Hope and certainty. Because that hope is based on Christ. Hebrews 6. I'm going a little bit longer this week. I hope you'll forgive me. And God's people said, Oh, thank you. Hebrews 6. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. Okay, that's us. We're heirs of the promise because every promise of God finds its yes in Christ. We're in Christ. We're co-heirs with him. God confirmed his promise with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Our hope is sure because our hope is Christ. In Scripture, faith grows like a tree. It starts as a seed and it grows and it grows. Hope in Scripture is an anchor dropped, unmoving. Hope is the mooring that keeps us from floating away with our culture, keeps us from entering into the crazy thinking of the world. And that's why Peter writes this verse to us as a command. Set your hope. It's why he unusually writes this command in the errorist, the past tense, and not the present tense. That's a fine distinction for me to make this morning, but it's an important one. Because the errorist tense, the past tense of the verb, describes a single action done in time. It's like drawing a line in the sand. It marks a definitive moment in my life and your life. I will drop my anchor 
here. I will set my hope in Christ. Hebrews 11. One, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance, conviction. Uncertainty and biblical hope are antithetical. Hope is certainty. Hope is certainty. And that's why you and I cannot put our hope in anything of this world or any person of this world because no one is certain. No thing is certain. How many of you are watching even now your 401ks? Plummet, right? That's where your hope was. Cut. That's the wrong hope. Divorce courts filled with people who discovered the person they married wasn't the person they thought they married. Cut. That's the wrong hope. Counselors' couches are full of people who are burned out and fall apart because no matter how hard they worked, they could never catch what they were chasing. Or even worse, when they called it, they found it was like grabbing air. It was meaningless. Cut. That's the wrong hope. Psalm 42 and 43 hit us hard with this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? What? Hope in God. Say it with me. Hope in God. What God has already done for us in Christ, it's not going to get any richer. It's not going to get any fuller. It's not going to get any better than it is in this moment. Our faith may need to grow, but our hope need not. Don't suffer the turmoil of partial hope. If I may take us back in conclusion to the dejected, downcast disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. Look at how Jesus restored them, restored their hope. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, ones with wrong hope, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus showed himself to them in the word of God. And then those disciples said, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? If you and I have any hope this morning of replacing wrong hopes with right hopes, we must go to the Word of God. Because it's there that we will see Christ by the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit. Then when we feel helpless and hopeless, our hearts will burn as we see Christ with true hope, with fresh hope, with unfailing hope, more grace and more grace to see more hope and to see fully that hope 
when Christ as revealed at his second coming, scene one, take two. Here's what I want to do every day, every day of my life. I want to end every day so that when I go to sleep at night, I sleep in peace because by the grace of God, every day, I have played the scene right. I have replaced wrong hopes with hope in Christ. And having done that, I will hear my father say, now that's a wrap. Let's pray. Father, may it be so. Day by day, we wind up, we wrap up each day full of hope in you. Because we've been in your word, because we've listened to the heeding of your voice, we have set aside our wrong hopes, our selfish hopes, in favor of your better hope, your sure hope, your unfailing hope. Make us people of hope in Christ in this hopeless world, we pray. Lord, use it to your glory beyond us and that others will see our hope in Christ and be drawn to that hope. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.